Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode of Enterprising Families I have with me Andrew Doust and we are going to be speaking about born into a story and creating my own. I know there's a lot of people out there who feel when they look at their life story that they were made to be part of a family or they were born adopted or became part of a family but they really struggle with finding out who they are and what they what role they want to play in the space that they're in so this conversation is going to explore that that nuance of being born into a story that is not your own and then creating your own space and creating your own story. So I'm so excited to be speaking to Andrew and um, also to be sharing a bit about the amazing work that he does. So welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. And I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself to my audience before we get into speaking about being born into stories. Yeah, wonderful. It's a delight to be with you, as I mentioned. And uh, I'm a co-founder of Core Venture, which is a non-profit organization, uh, US-based, but working globally. And its uh, purpose or mission is to help prepare young adults from families of wealth to navigate the complexities of wealth and to live a flourishing life. And I'll explore more of what that means. Um, I also work with families directly in an advisory capacity, helping them navigate the complexities of of wealth which uh, too often sadly derail the family or even fraction the family and uh, and cause them not only to lose a family but often their wealth as well so uh, my work is around those two areas brilliant so today as i said our our topic is talking about being born into a story can you tell us a little bit more just unpack this interesting box we have in front of us what is being born into a story and um, what does it mean when we start creating our own after being born into a story? Yeah, well, let me explain a little bit more, if you don't mind, about Core uh, Venture. And I'll spell that K-O-R-E for those who are looking it up later, K-O-R-E Venture. Um, Because in it was kind of birthed with this idea that many young adults born into families of wealth, uh, from the outside, it looks like you know, they were, they've won the prize. What could be better than that? But from the inside, the view is very different. And from the inside, and we work with young adults in this space uh, all the time, and so we hear many of these stories. We hear, uh, we, we hear comments like, listen, uh, I, um, I feel like my path has already been predetermined. Uh, all the choices have been made for me. Uh, my parents created a really successful business or uh, have a lot of wealth. And as a result of that, it's almost like my job was decided for me. And guess what? It's, it's a job now. I look at it closely. I don't uh, particularly want. Uh, and, and maybe I'm not even well suited to do. But nonetheless, it's a job that seems to have been created for me that I'm expected to step into. So there's a, a vocational element to that. But there's also a, an identity element to that, which is, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of make my own way in the world and create my own 
identity and and, uh, and and reputation. But but in a sense, because the name or the achievements of my family are so great, it's very hard for me to ever uh, live outside of the shadow of the family's achievements. And so I don't really get to have this what I would consider a clean canvas to paint for myself. It's always with this sort of a lot of the a lot of the building blocks are in place. And I'd love to be able to make my way and prove who I can be and grow into who I'm supposed to be and not have all of the uh, sort of um, shadowing of the family uh, over me. Now, I recognize if I'm a young adult that I have great privilege and I'm, and I'm not uh, complaining about that. No, not at all. There's many people who are struggling in life, but, but it does feel like I don't really get to write my own story and that is that sense of being being trapped at one level that uh, our certainly young adults we work with talk talk a lot about. Um, I'll add to that that it's it's a very difficult thing to talk about because if you are born into a family of wealth, it's very hard to talk about the challenges of being in that family of wealth, at least to those who haven't lived your experience, because it seems first of all really ungrateful to your parents who have probably worked very hard to create an extraordinary um, environment for you to be born into. It seems ungrateful to them. And it also seems uh, ungrateful to the world. Hang on, you've, you've got what many of us strive our whole life to achieve. And now you're complaining about it? You know, how dare you? And so as a result, many actually just suppress this feeling of being uh, trapped and don't want to talk about it. In fact, they don't feel like they can talk about it, which is why Core Venture uh, is a community of people who share a similar story and together want to help each other be the best they can be, but do it in a way that where they can talk freely about these feelings of perhaps not having the freedom to write their own story. So I don't, I don't want to position that as sort of um, a pity perspective. It's not. It's mm -hmm. just the reality of feeling uh, a little trapped and unable to make my own way, despite all of the advantages I might have, despite all of the opportunities before me. There's a lot more to unpack there, but let me pause there and see if you've got uh, more you want to unpack there. Yes, I think um, you've, you've actually dug into quite um, a number of interesting issues. Um, and one of the top ones that I would probably want to dig a little deeper into is the issue of identity. Um, we, when you, like you said, when you're born into um, to something that is successful, whether it be a family um, or a company or wherever, it's almost like you're trying to fill these big shoes and um, growing and trying to find your own, your, your own identity can't be easy at all. And, in your experience, what do next gen struggle with when it comes to the expectations of their families? Yeah, uh, you're right. This identity piece is, is I think, critical. And I, I think it's the foundational piece for everything else. And in fact, in our program, everything we do starts with this idea of identity. Mm. Because for most, um, the world tells them that they are their family's wealth. You know, what's your family worth? Uh, we use language like that as if, as if the value of an individual is somehow summed up 
in in a in a number <laughs> assets under management or, or the equivalent and we are born into the idea that we are what we achieve we are what we achieve because we look at our parents and see their amazing achievements and we look at our own and think well i'll never match up to that mm. and uh, and either i'll rebel and some do and just decide to kind of do the complete opposite of their parents some rebel in a good way and go and achieve in different areas of life, but still they're driven by this desire to achieve in order to somehow win the approval of others and most often their parents. And, uh, you know, often that's a very self-imposed belief system that I'll be acceptable and I'll be considered a success in my family if I achieve um, whatever it is that you think you need to achieve, whether it be, you know, equivalent um, uh, prestige in your field or uh, growth in the family's business or assets or whatever it might be. This idea that I need to achieve in order to be approved drives so much uh, dysfunctional behavior, actually. And when, when people start failing at that, because actually you can never fully succeed, because even if you achieve a lot, you're constantly wondering, is it enough? Mm. Or you're also wondering, did I only succeed because of all the advantages I was given by my parents in the first place? You know, if it wasn't for my family name that, that opened the door, maybe I wouldn't have had this success anyway. So you're constantly worrying and wondering whether it's your own achievements or really um, the, the foundation of the family that enabled you. So you're constantly doubting whether you are really any good mm. uh, and certainly as good as others who've come before you. And so I think this idea of, uh, of expectations that we face are ones we place on ourselves. I feel like, and I, we had a, a wonderful story on uh, a program, uh, you know, in 2019 with a young man who had gone through a, a really profound journey with the program, who had assumed his whole life that six, in order to be considered a success, mm. principally by his father, he needed to achieve what his father, what he felt his father wanted him to achieve. Mm. And he had this narrative in his head. And through the journey we were on together through the program, mm -hmm. he came to realize that it was a narrative he'd placed in his own head. His sister mm. was on the program and he said, you know, your father doesn't think that of you. Your father really wants you to find your, uh, your success, to find what you can contribute in life. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, as we unpack that and he came to realize that, it was a huge relief to him. And his father, because at the end of the program, we had parents come and join us. His father, without any priming, affirmed that in him. He said, you know, I want you to be you and I don't want you to be me. And this liberation he felt from expectations, this need to perform in order for approval was lifted from him. Mm. But even if there is this sense, I have to perform in order to have approval. We really uh, want to challenge people about that because if your sense of worth and identity is always based on what you can achieve and do, you'll always be chasing an, an un, um, a, a, a rainbow. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never feel and find fulfillment and you'll do more and more extreme things in order to find that fulfillment that can't come through achievement. Uh, and so, I mean, it's a long answer to your question. So I think the, the idea of expectations is what often we place on ourselves because mm -hmm. we think we ought to be amazing. We think we ought to be extraordinary. We think we ought to be doing so much more with the privilege we have. And when I wake up in the morning, 
I feel like I'm, I'm bound to fail because I can never actually uh, justify what I've been given. Mm-hmm. The assumptions that people place on it are slightly different. So because I am from this family or this family with a well-known surname, people do make a lot of assumptions about me. They assume that I have it easy. They assume I have all of the, um, the, the, the benefits I need for a flourishing life. They assume a ton of things about me. Um, sometimes I also impose that on myself mm-hmm. rather than uh, real assumptions. But those assumptions, we talk a lot about expectations and assumptions, they're two different things. Expectations are placed on myself, assumptions people make of me um, and, uh, and I need to both uh, unpack and um, really work out what's real in those assumptions and expectations mm-hmm. and what's my own narrative that I need to actually, uh, you know, kind of re- rework and, and, and um, you know, de- develop a different narrative for. So I'm not sure if that answered your question. There's just a bunch of stuff, identity, that I, I think is absolutely critical. I'll, I'll pause so you can ask another question, but I, I, I will say there's three things in our program, three big questions we help people answer, and I'll, I'll tell you the answer to those. I'll tell you those questions in just a moment. Okay. Well, um, once again, you, you've unpacked an, an, another stack of possibilities. Um, and I think a question that came to mind as you were speaking is that, um, especially when you shared the story about this um, young man, and I'm sure there's so many young people like that, and I can relate to it myself. Um, I grew up in a family where both my parents were doctors. And um, I think that the larger assumption by um, society, communities, everyone around us was that uh, me or my younger sister would automatically go into the medical field or would fall in love with the medical field. And um, quite honestly, I, I can't um, stomach the sight of blood. And <laughs> so it was never going to happen. Um, and so you can imagine so the question would be, or my curiosity in this is that the expectations that we feel or that we put on ourselves as, as children or as next gens or somebody who's in um, somebody's story, does it necessarily come from um, the, the people that we idolize? Because obviously our parents are pretty much the first people that we get to know intimately and they become such uh, big figures in our lives. And you can imagine, I think you can just picture a a little child holding um, their father or their mother's hand and you have this tiny hand in this big hand and they're looking up into their uh, parents' eyes and feeling that feel of, "I I, I want to be like this person. This is what I want to be when I grow up. When when that happens, yes, there's that idolizing, but then the feeling of expectation, does it really come from the parents themselves at times or does sometimes society take over and we then start building this, um, we, this imagined um, pressure and that imagined expectation because of comments that come from other people that may even be external from the family itself or maybe part of a greater family or um, the, the greater society that we're part of that keeps on referring to the success of a parent, which then makes us then um, overlook our own needs, our own talents, our own um, wants and um, makes us follow into these footsteps that were never ours in the first place. Yeah, well, there's a lot to, to, uh, to, to uh, consider. I, I think uh, it's, it's both uh, and perhaps more. I do think that uh, when you have a family that has 
uh, and parents who are high achievers and have certainly developed a measure of business and wealth success. You know, lots of people look at the kids and say, wow, you've got big shoes to fill. And you mm-hmm. hear that a lot. Um, uh, you know, look at the amazing foundation you've got. I guess you're going to do extraordinary things. And so everything is about being extraordinary. And not everybody is extraordinary in the same way. Of course, we're different. So mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, there is, a, there is a ton of that messaging that goes on that makes it very difficult for uh, young adults to kind of work out, well, um, everybody thinks I'm going to be like that or mum or, or, or even if, if not in their field, then I'll be equally uh, impactful in another field. Uh, and so I do feel like you, you kind of feel like the bar is set so high. One response to that is I'm just going to give up now. Um, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, there's a high degree, as you probably know, of, of substance abuse and, and depression amongst um, young adults from families of wealth, I think in part because they feel like uh, they failed from the outset and nothing they can do can change that. At least they failed relative to the measure that others place uh, on them for success and they place on themselves. I think from it comes to parents, obviously every parent's different. Some parents go to great extents to, to make it clear to their kids they're loved and valued irrespective of their performance. Um, others perhaps are, uh, place a great burden on their kids, um, often unintentionally. Mm. But I guess my, 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 um, what we talk a lot about is, is encouraging people to, uh, to live uh, out of, um, you know, most of us, I guess, live for approval. We want to live for the approval of our parents. You know, we, we want their approval. We want them to say, well done, son or daughter, or the approval of our friends or the approval of our society. We really want their approval in some way, shape or form. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I think when we live that way, we will always fail because we'll never feel like we have enough approval or that we've done enough to justify the approval we have. And what we want to help people do is live out of approval Instead of living for approval, live out of approval. And what I mean by that is we want people to be at at peace and comfortable in their own skin. We want them to know that actually they're loved and valued and they are infinitely valuable in the world. And they have an an incredible part to play in the world's flourishing. And because of that, they're they're already approved. And they don't have to earn their approval through their performance. it's not that they shouldn't try and perform, but the motivation for performance isn't based on the desire to win or the need to win approval. Mm-hmm. And I think what that does is help people just approach things in a very different way and say, well, I can just be who I am, do the best I can do and use my gifts, whatever they might be, to serve others and help them flourish. I can do the best I can with that. And, and I don't have to do that in order to earn approval I'm doing it because I'm already approved. And that just is a huge mindset shift. And when people can get that, it is, it's like a, a weight dropping from their shoulders and they feel light and they feel possibilities again. They feel like they are free. And uh, that way of living is, is not one that's that common, to be honest. And it's certainly not common in our space where, where achievement is everything, accumulation is everything. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of, adding to what others have pre- created before us is everything. So uh, I, I'm not sure if that addresses your, your question, but it does come to the uh, uh, another point around purpose, which I'll address in a moment, but I'll pause there. Yes. Um, 
So going back to identity um, and just looking at the work that you do at Core Venture, a key element of the curriculum from the discussions we've had is the idea of establishing your own identity apart from your family. Why is this very, or why is this important? Yeah, so um, I'll answer that by talking about these three questions that we I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, and in that we'll talk about purpose. But the the fundamental or foundational questions we want to help people answer through our program in our, our core venture, and in fact through any work I do with families, is, is are these three key questions. One is um, I've already alluded to these. Who uh, who am I, and who do I want to become? And that's about identity. And so we talk about life as a journey of becoming. And that becoming process is actually the journey of life. Becoming a person of character is absolutely key. You know, when we talk about character, and this is why our, our program is character-based, you know, there's a, there's a great quote we like to use, and it's by a guy called Dallas Willard. And it's, life is not about uh, what we achieve or what we do. It's about who we become, mm-hmm. because that's what you take with you to eternity. So it's, it's really about a process of becoming. And there's lots of different people have written about, you know, guys like David Brooks, the New York Times columnist in the US, um, and many others writing a lot about character and identity. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about that. And we talk about it in the context of your family, because you're not just, you know, this is the idea of creating my own story, but not mm-hmm. separating my, my founding story. My founding story of my family is key, and it's really important that it shaped me. But writing my story is my responsibility, not their responsibility. And working out the person I want to grow into, the values and character I want to be known for, and um, they're they're my responsibility at the end of my life. It's my character that will be celebrated or not, more so than my achievements. Sure, people might look at my achievements and I might, um, uh, you know, refer to them, but ultimately they'll want to know what sort of father I was, son I was, brother I was, community member I was, what sort of leader I was what sort of employee I was. They're the sorts of, um, an employer I was. These are the sorts of qualities that we want to be remembered for. So character and identity is key. The second question we want to help people wrestle with is, what am I here to contribute in the world? What am I here to contribute in the world? And that's really all about uh, purpose. But we talk about contribution very deliberately because contribution uh, is, contributing purpose is very different to self-serving purpose. Self-serving purpose can just be, hedonistic it's all about me uh what i uh, what will fulfill me um but contributing purpose is really what delivers ultimate fulfillment and again the research is um really clear on this if you want to live a fulfilled flourishing life and who doesn't Mm -hmm. then actually you'll do it by using what you have in service of others not principally in service of yourself so when it comes to a family we want Uh, families and individuals in families to live their life thinking about how do I use what I have to help others, a contributing purpose. When it comes to an individual, and especially families where there's a a lot of assets involved, sadly, many believe their greatest gift to others is to use their wealth in service of others. And I think that's true. It's an important part of it. But we say the least of your gifts to give is actually external. The greater gifts are internal. When you can use what you are wired up to do naturally better than others, when you bring that to the world's greatest needs, that's where you'll have huge impact and you'll find great satisfaction. Now, if you can add to that some resources you have, it can multiply it. 
But don't buy the lie that your greatest gift is your money. It's not. It's a gift. It's an important one, but it's not the greatest. And so we want to help people discover their purpose and live into that purpose. And we want to help them do that in the context of what it means to be in a family, because I am in a family and, and there are responsibilities as part of that family. Uh, maybe I have to be involved in the family's foundation. Maybe there's a business we're still running. I have to be part of that. Or there are assets that need some oversight. I need to be engaged as an owner mm-hmm. um, or somehow responsible for the things the family's created. I may choose to be, and if I'm suitable for it, more engaged as a, as a, as a manager or uh, playing an executive role but I don't have to be. And I want to help people navigate the idea that, listen, I might be called, like in your case, you mm-hmm. could have been a, a doctor perhaps. And that may have been the greatest calling and contribution you could make, but you found a different con- calling and contribution. And because that can be a difficult conversation in families where I might be expected as say the eldest son to step into taking over the family's business, even if I don't feel like it's my best gifting, mm-hmm. we help people navigate that tension and have this conversation with families and we want to honor families and, and, uh, and honor responsibilities in families, but also help unlock people's greatest contribution to the world. And the last, the last um, question we help people wrestle with is, well, what do I do with what I have? I have great access to influence and connections and, you know, physical assets, uh, businesses we own, people we employ, and of course, significant wealth. What do I do with that? And usually, and that's a great question. We all have to give account for the things we are responsible for and how we use them. But usually people start with that. You know, I, I have um, uh, great wealth. What am I doing with that? Usually I feel like it's not enough, so I feel guilty about what I'm not doing. Mm-hmm. I feel um, burdened by all the things I could do but don't do. Mm-hmm. I feel um, uh, like I can never do enough to justify what I've received. Or uh, I feel like... Um, uh, I'm not quite sure. I'm just overwhelmed by all the options that the resources before me provide, and I'm just overwhelmed by that. And so usually what happens is people start focusing on, on the resource question first. What do I do with what I have? And that can be often noble. I've got what do I do in terms of giving? That's a good thing. It's good to work out how to give. What do I do in terms of impact investing, for example? What do I do just in terms of our business and how it flourishes? These are all good questions. Mm-hmm. However, when they when they're asked before identity and purpose is answered, they actually often uh, become a burden because the, what we do with our resources then determines how we answer that question, determines our identity and it determines our purpose and it becomes a real burden on our shoulders. But if we're clear on who we are and who, who we want to become on how we, how we are to contribute to the world's flourishing, mm-hmm. uh, then the resources become a tool in our hands and it's a much uh, healthier relationship with resources that we end up having. Mm. And so, as you may know, I come from um, an, uh, what we has been identified as an honorific culture mm-hmm. where we're about, very much about community and um, how it impacts the greater family. So listening to what you're saying, it sounds very Western and individualistic. And so my question would be, how can the next gens finding themselves actually promote the family in the end? Yeah, it's a really, really, uh, really important observation that um, 
individual it's easy to impose a western individualistic uh lens on this and we need to be careful not to do that because of course we have very different styles of uh of working different cultural um uh, norms and we want to uh honor family and we want to honor family in the way that our different cultural traditions uh best do that um and certainly in more collectivist uh, uh cultures where it would just be expected that you just do your duty son or daughter i don't care what you want to do individually you just do your duty. Um, and there's a sense in that that we want to help people uh, uh, do their duty. We don't want people to run away from their responsibilities. Um, but at the other, on the other hand, we don't want them to, to, to do that with resentment in their heart, uh, which is often what happens. There's just deep resentment that people feel, especially since many have been exposed to a Western education. Mm-hmm. And the Western education has promoted deep individualism in the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so the parents whether they like it or not, they have now got a more individualistic um, drive in their family's culture because of the Western education of the kids. Mm. And so the kids are coming back in with a bit more individualistic thinking, but into a collectivist um, uh, family culture. Mm. And uh, one of the things we do in our program, we have a, a, a very, very um, uh, you know, world-class uh, group who, who teach us intercultural intelligence. And they help us think through these different dimensions of culture and, uh, and, and not assume that the Western way of thinking is the right way of thinking, which, of course, is a predominant view in most places. Uh, but to actually to think about how would you bring these ideas of flourishing into different cultural contexts? Because we think it's so important to do. And what I would say to young adults is take time to get to know your family story. Take time to get to hear about your parents and their concerns take time to understand them um, rather than come back in eager to teach your parents and enlighten them Mm -hmm. be eager to listen and learn um, and and uh, there'll be a lot to learn Mm -hmm. i'd say to parents uh, recognize that your kids um, uh, uh, have 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 um, have a life uh, that they're learning as well. Learn what drives them. Learn what they're passionate about. Learn what they care about. Mm-hmm. Ask them those questions. And then together have conversations around, well, look, what's best for the family assets now? Mm-hmm. Because actually, if, if you're not, you might be the oldest son, but you're not actually very good at managing, you know, a, a business. Mm-hmm. Or you might not be uh, naturally wired up for the things that we need in this context. How do we help you be a faithful, intentional owner, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the manager of all that were created. You don't have to necessarily step into your father's shoes in order to honor your father, because that might be the worst thing to do. And we want to help people have those conversations. It's not a, it, it's a, it's a delicate conversation process, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly at the heart of it is we want individuals to flourish within families so that the family flourishes together. Mm-hmm. We want the family to flourish and we want there to be honoring conversations and honoring of the family as part of that absolutely absolutely and as we are about to wrap wrap up this i'd like to ask from you um how does maybe give us a little bit of insight into how does core venture um and its curriculum help next gens integrate their own stories with the ones that they're born into and um what what are the most um, heartfelt or most impactful changes you've seen these next gens and um, 
their families go through after going through your program? Well, the, the core venture curriculum is uh, we have a sort of long form of the program and several different shorter versions. But I'll talk about the long form, although what we do in the long form, we kind of condense into these short form experiences that we offer. And you can check that stuff out on our website. But the curriculum itself kind of mirrors those three questions. The, it's an exploration of myself, um, uh, my, uh, my identity, um, how I'm wired up. And so in that, we, uh, we actually begin the experience with a survival experience, would you believe we actually have uh, the the Bear Grylls Survival Academy come and run a three days of survival experience that is really hard. And what we want people to help them see is their greatest resource isn't isn't their family's uh, network or con- connections or their family's checkbook or credit card. It's actually themselves. They've got great resources internally, often resources I mean never discovered. And we want people to discover the resources, the inner resources they have. We also want them to discover the, the value of struggle in life. Because, you know, money can help overcome a whole lot of struggle, but it doesn't take away the emotional struggle we all face. And we want to help people build resilience and learn how to struggle well in order to grow. Let's face it, growth usually doesn't come through comfort. It comes through times of difficulty. And so this survival experience is part of what we launched the program with. We also want people to discover their great resource is each other, great friendships. And obviously through the program, people come become incredibly good friends. They're like family, actually. Uh, and many have uh, are very isolated through their family wealth and circumstances. So this kind of is bridging the divide that many feel and reinstigating or reconnecting great friends to them. So we, we introduce, um, you know, a survival element. We, we, we talk about family systems and helping people see how they, uh, how, they, um, how they fit as part of a family, how families work. We do a bit of personality profiling. Uh, we, um, we help people look at who they are as a, as a, you know, through the lens of emotional intelligence, through um, different personality uh, styles and get people working on the blind spots of those as well as the growth opportunities associated with those. So basically getting people to, in that first residential week, a really good sense of who they are. Uh, We also do work on intercultural intelligence, understanding myself as a cultural being. All of that is very, very rigorous. And and we have input from uh, people like uh, Keith Whitaker, um, who's, uh, I think, um, a well-known author to many, uh, perhaps of your listeners, and uh, others like him, who help us think about the way in which wealth impacts our identity. And, um, and so all of that is around that identity story. The second residential we run is actually, uh, that's in the US. The second residential is actually around uh, in, in Oxford, in Oxford University um, uh, based. We stay in one of the colleges there and we have faculty from Oxford talk a lot about character and how uh, you know, uh, we form character in life and why understanding who we want to be, what story we want to write in our, in our lives matters. Mm-hmm. And we want to help people do that in the context of, hey, what do I, how do I play my part in the world? And so we, we study, you know, the great leaders uh, in their portrait gallery. We go and look at the portrait gallery in London and look at, hey, what are these leaders? What made them great leaders? Why did they want to capture themselves in a portrait form in that way? How are you going to, how are you going to write your story? How are you going to be captured? Um, you know, uh, when your story is told, what do you want it to be? Uh, we, we hear from people who are, you know, doing inter- interesting things with uh, in investing in the world and power and policies in the world. And we look at the lens of um, philosophy and we, we, we talk about anthropology. And so a whole bunch of stuff, which is all around, who am I going to be in the world? 
what's going to be my place in the world. I know who I am now, who do I want to be in the world uh, and what impact do I want to make? And then um, the last part of the um, program is actually in Salzburg in Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's really a bringing it all together uh, time. And we actually invite the parents, as I mentioned earlier, to the last part of the program uh, to hear how stories of, of, of change um, life change, but that's really about getting people to say, well, what am I now going to do with what I have? I, I've done a bit of a stock take on my resources and I've thought about how I can step forward with my life. Um, how do I put all that together? But how do I do it with peer accountability? Because we have these really strong peer networks now by the end of the program, people care about each other deeply and they want to hold each other accountable on their journey. And these are lifelong friendships. And so as people step out into the next stage of their life, they step out with a, a, a great plan clear about identity, clear about purpose. They've got tools to navigate the complexities of family, the complexities of relationships, the complexities of of wealth and what to do with it. Um, They've got ideas about how they might put their wealth and themselves to work in the world, um, inspired by many great speakers, all to help them on this journey of living a fruitful, flourishing, productive life um, uh, as as part of their family. And, And obviously, tools to help them help their family flourish too so our goal is not just to help individuals but individuals and families that in turn become flourishing families and so you asked about the sort of changes we see i'll tell a couple of stories i mentioned the one about the young man earlier Uh, that was a a really powerful story of life change another was this young chinese guy who joined the program and he uh he came uh, along um, and, and almost uh, dropped out at the beginning of the program, the survival component, and uh, said later that actually he, he thought that was the worst thing in the moment. And later he said it was the best thing because it helped teach him what he was capable of. He'd never realized, realized how valuable struggle and uh, difficulties in life could be. And through this, he learned how valuable it was. And he also gained great friendships that he hadn't had before. But one of the most mo- moving moments was when his father came to the last part of the program and heard each of the young adults, including his son, speak about their journey and how it had impacted them. And, uh, you know, he, he, his son was speaking very uh, passionately about how he'd grown. Um, and his father could see it. And his father uh, didn't speak English, uh, you know, mainland China, significant wealthy businessman there. Yeah. And uh, as his son finished, his father got up and this is a small group. It's about 30 or 40 people gathered. Yeah. His father got up and uh, embraced his son uh, and is a long embrace. And it was the most moving embrace I think I've, I've ever seen because we knew Chinese culture that you don't express affection uh, generally, but you certainly don't do it publicly amongst strangers, especially. And here we, we were witnessing this sort of, reconnection of the son to the father and there was incredible healing that went on and uh and and uh the son said later that's the first time i remember my father hugging me or at least um for for many 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 years and you know in our check-in we keep in touch with all of our uh, graduates and you know he continues to flourish and points to this experience as part of as a key part of his flourishing his relationships continue to flourish and his business endeavors continue to flourish um, one other guy I spoke to, um, he went through one of our shorter form weekend experiences we run as well. Mm-hmm. He, he, uh, he talked about how his, he said, listen, my, my father's, my parents' wealth made me an outcast my whole life. Mm-hmm. Why would they do that to me? I know they love me. They've always loved me, but they really made me an outcast. And I was punished for it growing up. It was terrible. 
And he said, I can see through this journey because we talk a lot about forgiveness as well. Um, he said, I can see through this journey. We are healed to be mm. healers. We are healed to be healers in the world. I thought, wow, he's really got this. It was incredible. Yeah. Another guy, another woman um, uh, had uh, lived, grown up in a family, had a pretty well-known family name. Mm-hmm. And she'd always kind of tried to run from that family name and carve out her own identity and almost was an embarrassment for her, as mm-hmm. I think many would identify with. And she, through this journey, you know, came to believe that actually her family and family wealth would be with her the rest of her life. And she needed to face up to it and learn how to take ownership over it and become more confident in her story in as part of her family and also in the world. Mm-hmm. And so she today is, as, and she would say if she was here, talk about the change in her life as a result of this program, one of sort of wanting to run and hide from her family and the circumstances she found herself in to one who is confident in stepping up and now using what she's been given in much more productive and, and fruitful ways. I mean, I could go on with stories. I won't now, but the stories don't end with the participants. Mm. The family stories are significant too. So we obviously involve the families in different ways and the parents will, they do. I was speaking to just a mother the other day and she said, listen, I, I want you to know um, how much Core Venture changed our family. We had two kids who didn't, they didn't hate each other, but they didn't really connect well with each other. Mm-hmm. Through Core Venture, they are deeply connected now and they understand each other. We had kids who didn't quite know their path in life, what they wanted to do with their life. They had all the options ahead of them and they were confused about which road to take. Now they're absolutely clear that the, the daughter's really running well with their family foundation. The son is really running well with uh, building out a, a, a VC fund and both are flourishing in their fields. And she said, as a family, we just didn't have a sense of togetherness that we needed through core venture. The family now has a real sense of togetherness. And she said, I, I cannot speak highly enough or commend enough the programming uh, and the experience our family had. So, you know, um, I, I get really passionate about seeing lives actually changed and people mm-hmm. flourish irrespective of their circumstances, whether they're wealthy or not, but amongst those who are wealthy, who have every opportunity to flourish, at least materially, and who so often don't, It's a great joy to me when they start flourishing because then what they do with their wealth will become more flourishing for the world. And so they'll have a much more positive influence and impact on the world and they'll enjoy the journey far more than they would otherwise. It won't be a a burden. It'll be a joy. And, uh, and I want them to experience that just as I do for everybody else. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much, Andrew, for joining us today. And thank you so much for just giving us a, a powerful insight into how having an identity can just um, add on to the beautiful tapestry that is already the family story. And uh, it brings its own color when you um, remain true to yourself. Well, thanks so much for having me. I, I, uh, I do encourage anybody who wants to know more to, to visit us and, uh, and, and learn about how they can flourish in the midst of abundance as well. But thanks for the work you're doing. It's so important for the continent, but also for the world. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how you flourish on your journey of, uh, of, of purpose in, in the uh, months and years to come. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.